It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Welcome back to the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. 5471610 is the number to get involved. We're going to put that on hold for a few minutes because we're very happy to welcome into the program Joel Boucher. He is the regional director for uh, the Associated Generals, Con- the Associated General Contractors of America, the Inland Northwest AGC. We're going to talk a bit about the governor's press conference a little bit earlier today and what it means for the residential construction industry. Joel, we appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, especially on short notice. Absolutely, I appreciate the time. So, Joel, talk to us a little bit about um, about the governor's statement today. Um, most people they may think, "Oh, okay, we're starting to get back to something." But if you really look at what the governor said, this is not a full reopening of resident of the residential construction industry. This is only a the portion of residential construction that has already begun. Uh, for these projects to be completed, this does not include any kind anything that is not broken down or a broken ground. Correct? That's correct. Um, he's calling this phase one of reopening construction. Uh, it's the phase one plan. It's essentially looking at residential and commercial construction that has already begun, uh, where tasks can be performed on it, and what he's classifying as low risk, meaning that uh, the Actions taken on the job site, the different tasks being done, um, can be done with social distancing parameters, uh, wearing your face mask, wearing your gloves, you know, basic hygiene issues only. So if, if a job suddenly requires two, three guys to stand close together to try and take care of a task, uh, that can't be done under this current phase one plan, and that job may come to a stop when they need that to be done before they can move on to anything else. So, Joel, let me ask you this, because there, I mean, there are certain things when it comes to, depending on the stage of a project, that you may have to have some people within six feet, for example, if you're hanging a large piece of drywall or you're doing something like that. I mean, what type of projects are we looking at? Are we talking about the the finishing stages of projects, the the finishing stages of some some remodels, things that aren't necessarily... uh, you know, in, in a shell stage, what, what type of projects are we, are we really looking at that are going to be able to kick back up here? Really, it is project by project, and it's going to be determined by the owner and the general contractor working on the project to determine if the tasks that can be performed fall under that low-risk category. So it may be early on, and they're able to put in floor joists, or they're able to, you know, put up um, the wall um, they, you know, if you've got one guy flying iron and, you know, another guy in the crane, as long as it's just one guy up there, you know, handling it on the top end, you know, that's fine. But if you're putting two, three, four guys up there, uh, that's, that's different. So it, it truly is task by task, job by job. It's going to have to be determined, um, you know, with the hope that a majority of the projects that we're looking at in the area can get moving forward and make significant headway for at least the next couple of weeks until the next phase of the project you know, can be, be opened up at, uh, at the governor's approval where we can talk about moving into some more of these uh, close close quarters kinds of things. 
We're talking with Joel Boucher. He is the regional coordinator for the Inland Northwest AGC, part of the Associated General Contractors of America. And Mr. Boucher, uh, maybe give our listeners a, a sense of the economic impact uh, that's this industry has felt uh, from the stay-home orders. It, you know, it's all over the board. I mean, you've got your home builders who have kind of more or less shut down, and obviously their guys can't go to work at all. Um, you've got major commercial projects that are happening where people, you know, businesses are relying on that project to be done on the timeline so they can move into their space and get out of their rental space. Um, you know, they're taking out massive loans just to do the construction side of it. You know, they're not, or, or you know, even with the home builders, they're they're taking out the loans to build the house on spec until they can sell it. Um, so there, there's those kinds of things. You're thousands and thousands of jobs um, where people are currently collecting unemployment. The good news is is we're hoping that at least with this phase one, we'll be able to get uh, a significant number of those people off of unemployment back to work uh, sooner rather than later. Well, that's going to be my next question is uh, what kind of uh, help does this first phase offer, um, it, not only from the project standpoint, but as you mentioned, from the uh, unemployment side, it's obviously some positive, but uh, nowhere near where it was before the pandemic no you know we here in the tri-cities the construction industry has just been going so strong the last few years and certainly we hope that after or as these restrictions continue to ease we'll just see everything wrap right back up to where it was before uh, or as close to that as we can get uh, but it, it's going to be a mixed bag uh, you know do people choose to hold off or you know you know once we get some of these projects that are already going done, are people going to be doing new projects? So there's still a lot of question in the air about what the next six months to a year hold. We're just happy that the governor finally listened to us and to all our elected leaders who have been petitioning him for weeks uh, to, to let us get back into these job sites and get some more of the work done. Now, Joel, another, of course, Tremend, a huge aspect with, with any kind of construction and building is the permitting process. With a lot of these projects that are currently going on, and again, I know you mentioned project to project, but are these projects that, that already are permitted? Are there things with these projects? that because And the reason why I ask is, of course, that is a huge boon when it comes to, to local government revenue, are permits and things like that. Are most of these projects already permitted out? Or are there aspects of some of these projects that are going to resume where additional permits are going to need to be replied, uh, applied for as far as the work's concerned? Most of it, we should see that the permitting has already been done. Um, and it's just going to be the challenge of when working with the local government's follow-up inspections um, at various stages um, and getting that stuff done. But the, the permitting itself is done. So as far as a boon to the local um, economy, and local uh, governments, it's really going to be in the sales tax of, of getting back to uh, being able to buy and sell building materials again. Joel Boucher is joining us. He's the regional director for the Inland Northwest AGC, part of the Associated General Contractors of America. Uh, Joel, another element of this, too, that I think uh, is is fair to ask or fair to bring up is certainly your organization is always concerned with safety on the job, safety for the workers, safety uh, with, you know, re regarding the practices put in place by the people they're going to be working for and working with. So just out of curiosity, how many things in this phase one plan 
that you and your organization helped develop for the governor. How many things in here are new to safety guidelines um, that, say, already are kind of observed by those that are on construction jobs? I mean, how much of a radical difference is this, or is it more of just paying closer attention to things that people may have should have may, may should have been doing already? A majority of it is just making sure that we're following through with best practices that have already existed in the industry. Uh, certainly, there are a few a handful of things, um, you know, the social distancing, that's going to be its own challenge as well as its own new rule to it. Uh, you know, the hand washing stations that are asked for in here, there's an abundance of them rather than just kind of the standard ones you find at your porta potties or your, uh, you know, your break room area and your portable building. Um, you know, so there, there are a few little ads. Most of it is relatively easy, though one thing that we are still waiting to hear from everybody on is are they able to find a substantial amount of PPE, especially with uh, gloves and face masks. Um, you, you know, those, that's been a challenge. Um, we're still waiting here today to hear from I actually as to what constitutes a substantial face mask. You know, is it one that can be made from home like we take to the grocery store right now, or do we need something that is manufactured? And is it just a basic uh, cloth one, or does it need to be, a, you know, something similar to an N95? Um, so we're, we're kind of waiting on that. Uh, and then the only other major change is having – uh, the additional paperwork for posting on sites, which, um, you know, each job site is supposed to have documentation posted showing which tasks are um, allowed under the phase one. And that's what they can be participating on for anybody who walks by, including, you know, a government official coming on saying, OK, you were doing these, you're shaking, you say you're OK to do these things kind of a deal. Um, so I'd say it's really about 50-50 right now when you look at the entire listing of it. But a the majority of what takes our time um, as an industry are things we are already practicing. We're talking with Joel Boucher. He's the regional coordinator for the Inland Northwest AGC, uh, part of the Associated General Contractors of America. So, Joel, est- rough estimate, how many jobs in the Tri-Cities area, in the Columbia Basin area, do you think will be able to resume under this relaxation? Um. Rough estimate. I couldn't give you a hard number. I could probably say a percentage. I'd say of the of those that are already going, probably ninety percent. Wonderful. Will be able to get up. Will be able to get up and going in some capacity. Um, whether they are able to stay at that more than a couple of weeks, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but you know, being able to get up and going at all, and being able to demonstrate that we can follow these phase one guidelines, should allow for the governor to allow for the next phase of things and and for us to move forward from there. And Joel, one final question for you, as far as the, the, the planning ahead and and looking at what could be coming next, um, you know, the governor's not really giving any timeframes on anything. Is this going to be, is there going to be a big onus on the residential construction sector right now to show that we can do this in order for other industries to get a green light? Absolutely. Uh, more than now than ever, doesn't matter if you're residential, you're commercial, or those public works that are already happening that have, have kind of helped guide um, our, our initial look at this. Some of, some of the members of the AGC are the 
the contractors building those schools and those public works that are happening already, um, and we've been looking at that stuff. It's it's really going to depend on all of us following these guidelines, whether whether the individual believes that they're appropriate or not. Um, we need to be able to show that we can we can follow these rules so that we can open up further, and then other industries can piggyback off of the work that we've done as an industry uh, to allow for further opening uh, of our economy. Joe, is there anything we didn't touch on that you feel is important for our audience, and especially those that are in the construction industry that may be listening right now? The biggest thing I will say is, you know, the governor, if you listen to his speech today, he took he seemed to take all the credit for for this plan and everything, and I, I'm, he's, you know, I'm very proud of this and what not. The truth is, this was an industry-driven task force. It was home builders, it was commercial builders, it was government builders, it was the labor unions, it was LNI public owners all sitting down at a table together and coming up with this plan. This is an industry-built plan that we put on his table about a week ago, and he's finally just signed off on. So it's really it's industry-driven. It's on us to continue to see it happening moving forward. But if other if other groups want, honestly, if they want a plan to open up their businesses, it's going to be on them, not the governor. Because I don't I don't see the governor taking a lot of these steps himself. Maybe he is on the back end, but uh, truly, we feel like this was an industry win rather than um, a partnership with him. Joel Boucher, regional coordinator for the Illinois Northwest AGC part of the Associated General Contractors of America. We appreciate your time, Joel. Uh, congratulations on the plan. Best of luck with it, and be safe and be well. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate the time. Joel Boucher, the regional coordinator for the Illinois Northwest AGC, part of the Associated General Contractors of America, and I'm not really surprised by that. No. Because we know that the residential construction industry has been uh, fuming for a month, and they took the steps, they grabbed the ring, they ran with it, and they said, here's what we've got, how can you say no to this? And after a week, the governor stopped saying no. So congratulations to all those who were involved in at least pushing the door open a little bit and getting our economy at least tepidly flowing. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, you're ready to 610 k 547-1610. If you'd like to get involved, and if you're currently involved as a client with American Family Insurance, you might want to check the website of Jason Hogue, the only American Star Certified Agent in the Tri-Cities for American Family Insurance, and find out if you will be receiving a reimbursement on your auto insurance from American Family Insurance. They were the first ones to do this in the nation to offer a reimbursement for their clients on auto insurance because of the COVID-19 pandemic, because of the less cars on the road, because of the fact that there really aren't a significant number of accidents going on, first company to step out of the box and do this. If you're a customer with American Family Insurance, go to jasonhoag.com, find out the information, and you could be receiving a reimbursement from American Family Insurance. If you're not currently a customer, and you're thinking, wow, that's a pretty good thing for a company to do. Well, you could become one. Go to the go to Jason's website, jasonhoag.com. Look at all the things American Family Insurance has for you. 
and then make that call. Send an email to Jason and his team with American Family Insurance. 547-1610 is the number if you want to get involved. And, um, you know, Ed, we'll touch on this a little bit more in, in, in a few minutes, but we talked yesterday a little bit about uh, about the NFL draft, and we both kind of had a feeling that this was going to be, outside of the fact that it was completely and totally virtual, uh, <clears throat> this was going to reach new heights, and it did. The ratings for yesterday's draft came back, and it shattered viewership records. Round one, NFL draft, first even close to real sports thing Yep. in how many months? And... Yeah, a lot of people tuned in, not just because it was the NFL. I mean, we knew there were going to be big numbers, but people were at home, yes. starved for something sports. The record was in 2014, 12.4 million viewers. 12.4, okay. That was the record in 2014. Okay. Last night's draft, 15.6 million viewers. Wow. fifteen that, 3 and, million more. And it's a 37% increase over last year's draft. Again, without COVID, I don't think you see that. Yeah. You know, it would have been just kind of a regular average type of now, draft audience. Now, where would you think the largest audiences were? Uh, New York. No. No? Three of the top five, including number one and number two, were in Ohio. Oh, Columbus, Ohio, yes. the home of Ohio State, no. was number one. No, here's why. Uh, not only did Cincinnati have the number one pick, but Joe Burrow, who went to Cincinnati, is from Ohio. Yes. So, yes, okay, that makes and, sense. There's and, a lot of hype for the draft for Ohio. Certainly. For all those reasons. And Chase Young was expected to go number two, which he did from Ohio State. From Ohio State, right. Yes, so yeah. Cleveland was second. Yeah. Columbus was number one at 16.7. Yeah. Cleveland at 15.9. Cincinnati 15.6. Yeah. Then Philadelphia was fourth. Philadelphia. Football town. Well, yeah. They were fourth in the top five as far as the the markets go. We're going to go take a quick phone call before we go to break. You're up on the bottom line. News Radio 610 K1A. Your name, where are you calling from? Not and well, give us a try back. But we're going to talk a little bit about the draft last night because yeah. I'll tell you what right now. I, I'm done. You're done. I, I, I have, I have tried very hard to give the benefit of the doubt. I have tried very hard to see maybe a little bit behind the facade, and 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 there's nothing behind the facade. I, I have fooled myself. I think like, like some Seahawks fans have over the last few years regarding John Schneider. I, I give up on John Schneider. I, I completely give up on John Schneider after after last night. We'll talk about why when we come back. But I, but I give up. I absolutely give up. There is some truth in the statement. You cannot teach an old dog new tricks, no matter what it is that you do, no matter what it is that you put in front of him, no matter how necessary it is. Some old dogs just aren't going to learn a new trick. I will give him credit on this front. At least he made a pick. <laughs> for the Seriously, for like the first time in seven or eight years, instead of trading out of the first round, he actually made a pick. But, but maybe he should have. 
This time, maybe he should have. We'll talk about that and much more coming up. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. And hey, everybody, you ready for this? We're going to be reopening the state in no time. Going to be reopening the state in no time. We got great news for you. We got great news for you. Governor Jay is using his China connection. He's going to use his China connection, all right? State is working on a million dollar, or, or I'm sorry, not a million dollar. I'm buying a million Chinese test swaps. A million test swaps from China. This on the heels of UW getting uh, Chinese test swabs that, that um, <clears throat> well, they didn't quite work the way they were supposed to. But, you know, Governor Inslee is going to buy a million Chinese test swabs. Million Chinese test swabs. I wouldn't buy tea from China right now. This comes on the heels of the University of Washington saying that some of the stuff that they recently got, test kits and and stuff, um, weren't fit for distribution because they came damaged from China. It stuns me. It really does. I mean, you're going to, of all the places you're going to buy test swabs from, after all the countries that have come out and said, don't buy anything from China, it's not working, it's faulty, the ventilators have failed, the test kits have been faulty, the swabs have not worked correctly, they've been bad swabs. Jay's just going to go right ahead. And buy a million of them, and that this is Captain Data and Science. Yeah, Captain Data and Science is going to ignore all the hard information out there that everything coming out of China right now regarding COVID nineteen is faulty, including the information. But he's just going to go right ahead and buy a million of them. That's the health and science that we get with the Donkey of Shame Hall of Famer, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should have a new Stuart Elway poll. We'll ask five people what they think of that, <laughs> and I bet Jay gets a hundred percent approval rating. Well, actually, it depends. If they took the poll around the Lenin statue, the results would be higher. That's true. The approval rating would be higher because they would they would love to get the the swabs from China. Unbelievable. Yeah, a million swabs from China. Maybe maybe he. You know what? Maybe he maybe he is slyer than I thought. Okay. Maybe he's slyer than I thought. Maybe this isn't this isn't a buffoon move. Maybe this is maybe this is an incredibly brilliant move to make sure it keeps the state closed longer. Crazy like a fox. Crazy like a fox. I'm gonna buy test swabs from China so we never reopen the state. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Carlos from Oregon. Hi, Carlos. What's up? Hey, I, all I got to say is, have you guys heard George Carlin in 2010 when he said, why I don't vote? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's classic. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, that is so good because it's just like garbage in, garbage out. We, the people, are the people that vote these idiots in 
and maybe we're the ones that suck. Well, you know, Carlos, you make a great point because there are a lot of people that are unengaged in the process. There are a lot of people that don't vote. Um, you know, voter turnout continues to be a huge problem, not just in Washington State, but around the country. So you you do have a point. And, you know, we advocated on this program to have to take a test to be able to vote. You should have to take a, a small semblance of tests uh, of test, just your basic civics test to understand, you know, voting, where, where it came from, how you do it, why it is what it is, so that you understand a little bit before you cast your ballot. Now, I know that'll never happen because we can't even get people to get a free voter ID without people saying that it's somehow racially motivated or insensitive to minorities. I don't know how a free ID is insensitive or slanted against anybody because it's a free ID. Uh, you're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is uh, Don calling from, well, I'm at work at Pasco, but anyways, I just wondered if they were coming out of Taiwan. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe that's the China he's talking about. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I trust the China. <laughs> be a lot better idea. Uh, yeah, I trust the Taiwanese ones a heck of a lot more than I, the, the ones from China. Yeah, I don't know if they're coming from a, a, a certain Wuhan lab or not. I'm not really sure. You know what? We need to get a hold of the governor. We need to ask. We need to find out. Governor Inslee? When these swabs were created, do you know if the workers were six feet apart? Do you know if they were wearing masks, Governor? Governor, do you know if they were wearing gloves when these swabs, were they maintaining your standard of of safety practices and social distancing when these swabs were made in China, Governor? Do you know that for a fact? Yeah, I mean, we're we're joking about the the faultiness of, of the construction of the swabs. Didn't even mention the fact it could be tainted. Five four seven one six ten five zero nine five four seven one six ten. We're testing you for coronavirus here. We just put yeah. it up your nose. Yeah, we, we've got a we've 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 got a. Uh, yeah, that's right. Stick it up the nose. I, well, that's what Never they do. Mind. Yeah. I, no, I... I, I, I but that, again, that, that was me censoring myself before I got myself into big <laughs> trouble. Just to let you know, I, I but, wasn't I wasn't glitching or anything like that. I was, I was censoring seriously, myself. Seriously, all this rhetoric that comes out of his mouth about safety, 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 you're going to buy faulty equipment from China. And yes, I'm saying right now it's faulty because everything they've sold has been faulty. You're going to buy a million test swabs, and if you're lucky, 25% of them are going to work. This this is not. But they're going to triple check the quality. I'm sure they will. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, he I'm sure will. will. Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure They'll he check will. check every one of them. Uh, let's go to the phones before I go on a rant. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, fellas. This is Chris from Richland. Hi, Chris. Chris. So why doesn't he just take this one step further? and get some of them great scientists that work in that lab in Wuhan to conduct the testing using their own swabs. How could that not be any better? Oh, I can. I mean, you can, you can make. Great, they have such great protocols at that lab. <laughs> better yet, why don't bring them over here and do, have them conduct it, too? Appreciate the call, Chris. Five four seven one six ten. What I was going to say. I really so badly want to say something. I'm well, not see, you're editing to. yourself now too. I, I, so I'm just yeah. I, Rob and I like our jobs, and we would like to keep them. So that's why we're doing this. But um, it, it's it's not like a lot of people had, have drawn the comparison to when a plane crashes. Now follow me on this. When a plane crashes, so many 
extra protocols are put in place and and double and triple checks and you know all these things after the fact that after a plane crash is one of the safest times to fly that's what they keep saying over and over again i don't know if that applies to testing equipment from china while we're still in the midst of the virus even though we're doing a wonderful job most of us except for you radicals in the eastern washington corridor uh you law-breaking heathen that's right yes. uh we're doing a wonderful job flattening the curve and uh so i guess i will let you finish building your your house of sticks and stones and straw so the big bad wolf can blow it down and wow. and uh and you know what i'll do just for good measure I'll give my uh, my buddy Xi Jinping a call and see if he can uh, hook us up with some uh, some testing swabs. But we can get him real cheap. But but he was so involved in the process. I mean, he was so involved in the process. I'm sorry, am I, am I missing something here? No. Oh, okay. No. But he's very involved in the process with all of this. I mean, and I think and I and I think our our guest at the top of the hour Muddy hit on something when he mentioned that this was an industry-driven thing. Oh, Joel Boucher. Joel Boucher, that this was an industry-driven thing and not necessarily the governor because the governor the governor can't even let us know. And here's the other part of this that, 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 that hit me yesterday. And again, earlier today when, when he spoke and I, and, and I became slightly agitated. Um, slightly? He doesn't. The only time we ever see the science and data is when he has a UW model. We don't hear the sources. But you know when we do, it's sources that nobody else is citing? Well, that's what that's what progressive leadership is. I mean, he's not citing CDC. He's not citing uh, some of these other things that are being widely accepted. He's not citing Johns Hopkins. He's, he's citing something you haven't heard of. Or he's using another flawed model from UW. I mean, where where is the science? He keeps saying data and science, data and science. We had some great data Wednesday night. I bet you he ignores that. In fact, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back. I took that audio and I emailed it to our liaisons at the Senate and the House in Olympia and said, gentlemen, please play this for the lawmakers that you work with. This is data and science. This is the stuff that we're waiting to hear. Please play this for the lawmakers so they can hear this and they can hear what's being done with antibody studies and what's being done and what the studies have been on the different uh, the different social distancing uh, models that have been done, how different countries have reacted and what the curve has been and how it's worked. Play this for them. This is from somebody who knows the data and the science and the research. The governor does not. You're talking about the Catholic epidemiologist. With Dr. Brian, yes, Dr. Brian York. Yes. What he talked about was actual research that he's seen, status, study, everything else. That is what he talked about. Play that for the governor, but he don't want to hear that. That's not the science and data he wants. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Your name, where you calling from? Uh, yes, this is Carlos again from Oregon. What's up, Carlos? Hey, um, I'm surprised nobody's mentioned Trump 
three plan stage to getting America back again, I guess if that's what you want to call it. I mean, he he put out a I mean, um, he put it's out stupid, a stupid, isn't it? <laughs> is is what? It's stupid. Putting out a three phase plan to try and get the country back open is stupid. Because I think the governors are way smarter. I mean, not ours, but there's that you know you 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 give it to the states, right? Well, you they would like they know. You would like this to believe that the states have a a finger on the pulse so that they can begin to understand where their where their people are, where their economies are. You know, the federal government puts out guidelines all the time. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to be followed. But if you look at the guidelines, particularly the phase one guidelines that were part of the president's plan, well, um, he, he actually he actually called out he actually called out the governor of Georgia telling him that you, you might be doing this too soon because even what we put we, even what we've put out as a recommendation you're not there yet yeah but didn't he say didn't he say like like three or four days before that that liberate Michigan liberate all those other states there are different states that have different orders in place okay Michigan has some of the most restrictive to where uh, you that I mean basically she's threatened to arrest people that leave their house. So no, I, I, understand. I understand. Yeah, yeah. There are there are different levels and different layers with everything, Carlos. And thanks for the call. I mean, each state has done something different. Each state has taken a different approach. Oregon has taken a different approach than Washington. California has taken a different approach than Oregon and Washington. Idaho. They've all taken a different approach. Some, like Michigan, have been actually harsher than Washington State. There aren't too many that are. I mean, we are the only state that has banned recreational fishing. Figure that one out. But every state has done this differently. The plan that was put out by the federal government was not to tell states how to do it and what to do. It was offering a guide based on their task force of things to look for data-wise in order to put a reopening plan together. Some states are there. Some states aren't. Our state... We've kind of been there, but, you know, the governor doesn't think the people of the state have the ability to police themselves in any way, shape, or form. Back with the donkey of shame after this. Speak your piece. Call 509-547-1610. More of The Bottom Line, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Final few minutes here on your Friday afternoon. Draft, round number two of the NFL draft's underway. Yeah. And uh, it is it is donkey shame time, Ed. And uh, I have to say, and we didn't really get to it, but I'll just I'll just get to it right now. My donkey of shame rider this week is John Schneider. Seahawks GM. Seahawks GM John Schneider is riding the donkey of shame. Simply enough, John Schneider had plenty of opportunities last night to make a move and get an edge rusher. There were plenty of them on the board, and guys were falling. But John Schneider instead not only didn't take any of the edge rushers that were available, okay, and, and I, will, I will say this because one guy who was uh, tied to the Seahawks at one point, is a potential pick in the first round. Um, out of Penn State, 
uh, and I'm looking, I don't want to mess up the first name, but um, Gross Motos out of Penn State. And I'll probably mess his name up, but I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try to make sure I get get the first name correct. Um, but, yeah, I, I watched the kid play at Penn State. He's good. He's a little raw, but he's an edge rusher. He's got size. He's got some speed. He, he'd be all right with what the Seahawks were looking for. Now, he just went in the second round to yeah. Carolina. John Schneider took a linebacker. Yes, he did. He took a linebacker. Now, is it a position of need right now? Well, you know, you can argue they could use some depth, but the last time I checked, first-round picks aren't depth unless you're, you know, New England or Kansas City after winning a Super Bowl. Uh, a first-round pick is not a depth pick. It is an impact pick. It is a, it is supposed to make a difference on your football team. Yeah, no, this guy's not going to do it. John Schneider almost should have traded out of the first round if that was what your pick was going to be. Um you you messed up. You blew it. You you blew it badly. I mean, positions in need were offensive line and defensive line. They were available at both. Guys that would have been great fits. And and you you did it once again. You messed up your first round pick. And if you think for a second you're gonna hit on a bunch of sixth and seventh round picks, it's probably not gonna happen. You had the opportunity to get a significant upgrade on the defensive line and you blew it. So John Schneider you're riding on the donkey of shame. It looks like a tackling dummy, and all those edge rushers you passed on are now hungubbing for you. Yeah, and we talked about this earlier where his M.O. had been to trade out of the first round completely and because he he loves third, fourth, fifth round picks. Those are those are his money picks, he thinks. And, yeah, there's there's been some diamonds in the rough that have come along the way, sure, um, and and yes, I you know I don't I don't doubt Pete Carroll and John Schneider and their eye for talent. Okay, I don't doubt that. You're, no one's going to be a hundred percent on the mark, right? But I, I I trust their eye for talent. But this was just this was a managerial mistake. They, like you said, the Seahawks needed. An edge rusher, whether they re-sign Clowney or not. How about offensive line? Mm-hmm. If you're not going to go with an edge rusher, draft an offensive lineman. That patchwork has been neglected for how many years now? And if you're going to stay in the first round, at least get something, a position that you can, that you need, that you really truly need. And now there's reports that that he tried to trade down. And I think it was with the Packers. And the Packers didn't want to dance with him. No, they wanted Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is what they ended up doing. Yep. Brill- brilliant, by the way. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can put him on my donkey of shame because I've been a lifelong Seahawks fan. But not happy with uh, with John Schneider um, with that first round pick. of this may have been the year maybe you should have traded out of the first round if, in, instead of doing that. No disrespect to that guy that was selected. Looked like a really solid linebacker, yeah. and, and he will definitely bolster a linebacking core that's still got some tread on the tires. But, I hope man, he can cover. Man, I just... I hope he can cover. He's well, going to need to. We'll see what they do the rest of the draft. That's all for the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. All your... All your news and uh, weather on deck. Stay with us.